It's always difficult to know with a university crowd how to pitch it. And I'm thinking today that more and more people are getting disillusioned with Sikhi. More and more people are thinking that Sikhi is about religion. And we keep hearing from our, from our elders that Sikhi is something to do with God and it's something to do with Punjab and you've got to learn the language and all that kind of stuff. So I thought let's just focus on what it is that university is all about. University is about coming here, getting an education so that you can go out there and actually use that education for something in the real world. Yeah? A lot of times it's motivated by money to say, actually, I want to do this as my job. So the things that I'm interested in, I want to pursue my career in that. So this whole idea of success is what we're going to be looking at today. What drives our success? Um, when do we want to achieve success? At what point do we think we want to get success? What do we think success is? And where does Sikhi fit into all of this? Is there any relevance with Sikhi? Does Sikhi stifle your ambition? Does that help your ambition? So we really want to look at all of these concepts today. So let's go straight into it. Let's just think about success. Just for a moment, what do we think success is? If you were to define success, what would you say success is? What does success mean? Not just monetary, not just uh, on the materialistic world, what does the word success mean? Go on. Achieving a goal. Achieving a goal, yeah? So if you set a goal to do something and you achieve it, you would say, I'm successful at that goal. Surprisingly enough, that is the definition of success. It's not more complicated than that. Uh, of course, Wikipedia is the source of all knowledge, so I will, I will rely on that. Achievement of an object, uh, objective or a goal, okay? So you set a goal, I set a goal to turn up here today. I'm successful because I turned up here. You guys set a goal to turn up here, you're successful. We've managed to achieve a goal. That's as simple as it is. We're not going to get it more complicated than that, yeah? So the prerequisite for success means that you must have a predefined goal against which to measure whether or not it's been achieved. So you can't be successful if you haven't set a goal. Does that make sense? If you haven't set a goal, how do you know whether you've achieved it? Yeah? Straightforward. This isn't the complicated bit, by the way. Yeah? And I'm trying not to make it any complicated than this. So, let's talk about success. What is success to you guys? In life, how will you know? Are we all striving to be successful in something? Do we all want to achieve something in life? What are the things that you want to achieve? I'll, I'll start with this side. What do you want, what do you want to achieve? What, what to you will feel like, you know what? I've made it. I'm successful. That's a really nice way to look at it. So one is that your goals keep changing, so your successes keep changing. But in the meantime, if you find a way to be happy along the way, then that's, you're okay with that. That's a really nice definition. Anything else? What, what do you guys think? What is, let's see one of the guys. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to make a rule here. Yeah. I love the answers, by the way, but I'm going to make a rule. I don't want you to tell me the answer you think is the right answer. I want you to tell me your most honest answers. Yeah. Because the more that we, and I'm not saying that you guys haven't been. 
But the more honest we can be about life, about the way we think, we're going to get more out of this because the whole process for me today is not that I tell you anything. I'm going to be asking you more questions than you're going to be asking me. I guarantee that. Yeah. So I want to work through a process with you. Yeah. Success. What does success mean to you? Oh, nice. Okay. Interesting. So now moving on just from your own happiness and your goals to what other people's goals are of, of you as well. Interesting. Okay. Any more? One more from the guys? Success. What, is, what, what would success mean to you guys? What would you, what would you say would be, you know what? I've made it. That's it. All the effort that I did with my education and everything in life, I've done it. I've achieved it. What does that look like to you guys? Realistically, honestly. Oh, health. That's a good one. That's a really good one. We've touched upon it a little bit. We've used the words happiness and contentment so far. Why do we want to be successful is my next question. Why do you want to be successful? Why is it important to achieve that goal? Why is it important to satisfy other people's goals? I can't say why it's important, but isn't it human nature to want more than what you have for something other than what you have? Okay. What do you guys think? Is it human nature to want more than you have? Is it natural? Yeah? I think it's hardwired into us by evolution. Interesting. Okay. So what is our goal in life? What is our goal in life? Some people say to be happy. Some people say to be content. Would you say that one of the goals, if it's natural to be successful, would it be to be as successful as at least everyone else around you? Would that be important? Which cycle? Okay. Contentment. Yeah, so you're not actually trying too hard. You just, just take it easy. Yeah, okay. Happiness, joy. Would we all say that that's a, a factor in our life that we're interested in? Yep. Comfortable life. Everyone wants a comfortable life? No? Comfortable, yeah. Peace and contentment. We've talked about that a little bit. What about that? Is it important to not only be successful in your own life, but be successful enough that you can then provide for your elderly parents or when you get married and your children? Because so far we've just talked about success for ourselves. But then I appreciate that because I assume none of you are married with children. Is it important to be more than successful just for yourself, do we have a responsibility to people around us? Isn't that the point of Sikhi? That you have responsibility. Is it? Is that just Sikhi? I'd say that's human nature. We're quite a tribal animal, I would say, compared to certain species that are solitary animals. You take the polar bear, for example. Just walks around by itself for its whole life. 
the very fact that human beings live in tribes, I would say that we would want to just be part of a tribe, and in order to be part of that tribe means that we have to pitch in. So I think it's more than Sikhi. I want your perspective. Right. Yeah. So when I, when I think of, um, of Sydney, um, lately, because I live in a house where I live with a Catholic and she's she's very uh, very staunch Catholic, and um, we have these really intense debates, and it's kind of um, I've I've been able to put Sikhi in perspective with other religions and understand maybe what's unique about it. And I think, well, from what I've seen, it's kind of like from what I've read as well is this emphasis that. The tribe is, is humanity as a whole. It's, it's one. It's not just your immediate family, immediate community, the Godwara. It's having this awareness of, of what's happening across the world and having that social conscience that's a lot broader than just your own immediate vicinity, you know, the people around you. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also about not sort of being overwhelmed by that and thinking, oh, I've got to change the world. It's kind of recognizing that, you know, just to, to do what you can and sort of incrementally sort of you know, um, throughout life, try and make a contribution that's probably more broader. Okay. Maybe sort of getting involved with um, politics or, you know, charities that have a global outreach. Yep. Um, Okay, I like that. So it's sort of really extending who you would normally say would be the people that you need to look after to a much wider uh, group of people. That's a very good point. It's kind of like success. Um, lately, like at this point in my life now, um, I worked and then I returned to university to do a PhD. Now I'm thinking, actually power, power is something that you can use to do things at that broader level. So if you do have more power in your life, yeah. then you can do these things that impact more people but then it's kind of like what is the cost of power in terms of ethics because currently in society we live if you have a lot of wealth and power it's not always not always through ethical means so it's kind of like yeah, so, so you're raising some really interesting points here i would say rather than power you probably mean influence yeah yeah because power has its own sort of connotations yeah. isn't it the so power kind of means that you ha- you rule over whereas influence could be that you have no rule over anyone but you have a lot of influence over people Mm. Um, it's how you use it. Yeah. How you use power. Interesting. You use it to, to um, you know, just, uh, promote your own um, objective or whether you kind of use it to support um, mutual objectives. Social good. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Okay. Would you say freedom to be able to do what you want is a measure of success? Freedom to do whatever you want. I'd say that varies person to person. So okay. For me, I'm kind of happy accepting that I'm not free to do what I want, and sometimes those boundaries are with me. Okay. So I don't want to think that I may have to have a goal of having yep. as much freedom as I could have. So it varies. Yeah. So it varies from person to person. Okay. But it's good to kind of think about some of these kind of broader ideas of what we think success is. Fulfillment. Does fulfillment, does that tie in with contentment? Because you can be content 
that you have no ability to do anything in life. I would say that that's content but not fulfilled. So you still have desires to do stuff, but you've kind of resigned to the idea that I can't actually do anything. So take a guy in prison, for example. He probably doesn't want to be there. He's got lots of desires of what he wants to do, but he's also accepted, I'm going to be here for another 20 years. So does success involve being fulfilled? Is being fulfilled different to being content? Are they the same thing? Everyone familiar with those terms? The difference between those terms? Yeah? Go on, you don't have to put your hand up. You're going to shout. Which stage? Fulfillment. Fulfillment. Being fulfilled in life. Okay. So you think life is about the opportunities that it presents and when there's an opportunity to do something, you will fulfill your mind's desire to do it. So if you had the opportunity, you would do all the things that life could offer. So it's like swimming with dolphins, the parachute jump, all that sort of stuff. If the opportunity presents itself, your mind would say, actually, I'd quite like to do that. So fulfillment is almost unachievable. Is that what you're saying? Because there's always things that, that, are, that you haven't tried. Yeah. Because the opportunity is not there. If the opportunity was there, you'd finish your studies, you've got a big pot of money somewhere, you've got free time, no responsibilities, you'd go and do them. You'd go do them. So that would mean that right now you're content with where you are in life, but it doesn't mean that you're fulfilled because you would want to actually have the opportunity to do all those things. Good. I'm glad. What about purpose, meaning in life? Is that part of our definition of our own success, to have meaning in life? Because you could do a lot of stuff in your life that would just be your bucket list that you're just ticking off, yeah? But is that the same as having a purpose or a meaningful life? Are they the same? Are they different? Do you define your own meaning? Does someone define your meaning for you? Interesting, yeah? Lots of different, different kind of variations on what you would think would be quite a straightforward subject. We've talked about doing good for others. What about social recognition? Is that part of your success criteria? Does it matter to you? And remember, all of this, I'm not talking about the, the textbook definition of success here. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in your individual definitions of success. Is it important for you in your life to do lots of stuff, achieve lots of stuff, but at the same time have a sort of healthy reputation amongst your peers? Is that an important part of it? Or could you just literally go and do whatever you wanted, like live the most crazy life and say, I don't really care what, I don't, what anyone else thinks? Are we restricted by our peers? 
Is that, is that always a, a factor? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Thank you. Okay. How do we achieve success in our life? We've talked a lot about what success is. How are we going to achieve it in our life? What's, what is the, I'm going to take Benji there at the back. What are you going to do in your life that one year, five year, ten years in your life, you say, when I get there, I know I'm successful? What's the steps? Um, I guess it depends on what it is you want to achieve. What's yours? Um, just like, let's say something simple like just graduating from university. Good, yeah. good goal. That's yep. Yep. What happens after university? What happens after your, stu- your studies? Is there a bigger picture? Yep. And then what? Yeah. At what point do you? Because you've said the steps, but you haven't said the goal. What's the what's the ten year plan? Am I sounding a bit like your parents now? Like, when are you going to get married? <laughs> um, I guess it's, well, my personal, let's say in 10 years' time, I would expect to be, I don't know, like, but even wealth-wise, earning a certain amount and maybe achieving some materialistic goals as well as normal yeah. success. Okay. Okay. Let's go through some of these then. Who wants one of these? Why not? See, now some eyes start lighting up. Because we can have some great plans. I don't know whose house that is. We can have great plans. We can have great ideas. But, like I said before, I want honest answers. If somebody presents you with that, yes or no? If the opportunity presents itself. Say again? No, if the opportunity presents itself, you get a job, the job means that you're going to get one of these, it may be in somewhere a bit warmer than Warwick, maybe in like LA or something like that. Like, no? Worse than London? Really? Really? All right, not LA. Miami? Okay. I've not been there. I'm going to stick with Miami. Thank you for telling me that. Okay. So what do, you, what do you reckon, guys? Is this part of the plan? Would this be a nice way to say, you know what, mum, dad, I'm successful? It would be nice to have. Yeah? Who would turn it down? None of us. Yeah? But see, the thing is, The problem with this house is you can't just have this house on its own. Once you start a particular lifestyle, most of us don't necessarily just want to live in our three-bed semi. The 
kind of illusion of something grand and all that kind of splendor, once you start going down that road, means that there are things that come with it. So if you had a house like that, who would be happy parking their Prius outside it? Their Micra? Skoda? Or probably want to park something like that outside it? Yeah? So there's a ripple effect. And once you park something like that outside it, you've got to look at the park, don't you? Because you've got the house and you've got the car. Then you might want to deck your house out from the inside as well. I know that's a men's one, but a walk-in wardrobe of any interest? The eyes start lighting up now. And guys, maybe home cinema? Something like that in the house? That'd be quite nice. That, these are all my house, by the way. All of these are, are pictures of my house. And then once you have all of those things, how many people think that being part of that means you're then part of a society? So then you can't just live in that in isolation. How many, how many of us think that part of being successful is looking successful? Yes? No? Success is not defined by the way you look. No, I have a guy from Ikea. He lives in a bungalow. He just thinks he's going to go and store. The guy who owns Ikea. The guy who owns Ikea. He's a billionaire. Oh, right. Yeah, so he very frugal lifestyle. Right. That appeals to you? Yeah. Yeah? It'll be well throughout the traffic as well. Okay. That's what I'd say. Interesting. Interesting. <coughs> Most of us look at the world around us and it shapes the way we think and the way we dress and the impression that we have of the world is largely from what we get exposed to. So when you have the house and when you have the car and you have the walk-in wardrobe and you have the home cinema and you have the dress, but then you don't want to live in a house all on your own. What do you need then? You need some companionship. Ladies, you might want to marry one of these. Guys, you might want to marry one of these. Because you don't want to have an ugly wife. You don't want to have an ugly husband. And then, when you find one of them, you've got to have the, the dream wedding, don't you? Starting to see now, where do we get a lot of these ideas from? Because when I say wedding, you think this. When I say dress well, you think the images that I suggest. Is there anything um, necessarily wrong with having a wedding? Because I've been to loads of weddings where people dress up like this. They live a very um, humble lifestyle. Yes. And on their wedding day, they want it all comes out. They want to be extravagant. I mean, I've, 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 um, have, I've got my own iniquities with that and looking at the waste of food and the extravagance mm -hmm. and how it overtakes sometimes the appreciation of. <clears throat> at the same time, I kind of, um, I understand to respect that it's their day and, mm. you know, I shouldn't, over, you know, necessarily be judging them too much. Yeah. Be more kind of enjoying them. Well, what I'm more interested in, and I'm glad you raised that point, what I'm more interested in is where is their motivation coming from to do that? So I'm going to go through the steps that I think 
the motivation comes from. Yeah? By the way, when you get married, you've got to have some designer kids. Yeah? Nobody wants ugly kids. Yeah? I call them the gap kids, although it's not gap. But you know what I mean? Like when you think of, oh, well, I'm going to have this great family, then these things start happening. So my question to you is, is this the image of success now? Does this start to look more like success in our minds? Or are we saying, actually, I'm not interested in any of those? Are we completely detached from these things? I think it's what other people perceive to be successful. So yes. So your success is defined by other people's perception of success. Okay. So my question to you is, is just about working through your own ideas, yeah? Around what you think is your notion of success. I can present this stuff to you and you can say, actually, it's nothing to do with me. Or actually say, I like that bit, but I don't like that bit. Yeah, I want that bit, but I don't want that bit. So it's about identifying for yourself. I'm not giving you any answers. Yeah? I'm the one asking the questions. So my question to you is, at what point will you be successful? Which of these factors for yourself defines your success? Or maybe I should ask an even more interesting question. At what point will you stop wanting to be successful? Let's say you had all of these, for example. Yeah? At what point do you feel like, I don't need to achieve any more? Do you think you reach that when you've got all of this? Do you think you get to, do you ever get to a point? Young lady over there says you never get to that point where you never have to you never want to do anything more. You never want to strive for some more fulfillment. Anyone else? Do you think you, do you, think you ever get to a point where you say, I'm done. I've, done, I've got all of this stuff, got money in the bank, good job, the designer kids, I've got it all. No, variety is the spice of life. Variety is the spice of life. So variety keeps life interesting. Okay. Okay. Okay, interesting. One thing to be aware of, if we're looking for success, but we're not quite successful yet, then what happens? We kind of talked about the Indian wedding scenario, where everyone lives in a quite a normal house, but for the wedding day, they're more than successful. So if you're not careful, you might end up looking like this. No, no, no judgment here. The idea is, is there a way of being so besotted by success that you do whatever you can, even though it's way, with a, way beyond your means, to try and live up to something that's just something that someone else has imposed on you? That's the idea. Yeah? If this guy genuinely wants to dress like this, and that's like his life, yeah, no judgment at all. So my question to you is, what defines our success? Where do we get our notions of success from? 
Where do we get success from? Who tells us what success is? Parents. Your parents? Okay, yeah, you get a good job, you get lots of money, you get a good house, you're, you're, you're set for life. TV. Okay, what do you mean? Like? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Bit like these guys. Do they define our lives? Do they define society's lives? And then we just have the kind of the rub off effect of that. The rag to riches kind of approach, you know, yep. First two albums, um, you know, and or however a musician gets successful, you know, they tour, they, hmm. they might live, you know, in other people's um, houses and sleep on the sofa. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure about his story. I have no idea what his story some, is. And, and, you know, sportsmen as well, they also work really hard. So sometimes it's, a, it's how you read into it, really, yes. and what you're inspired by. Are you inspired by that image and wanting to replicate that, or are you inspired by interesting point celebrity culture is a very important factor in our life because although you've said that a lot of people do look at celebrities but what you're necessarily saying is that people are inspired by their journeys I would question whether people are inspired by their journeys or whether people are inspired by their achievements um, I think they're slightly different. It probably depends on the person because celebrity autobiographies are really popular. Um, and then some people just want to read them to go like gossip. But, some, but there is often like that interest in the story, the rags to riches story. The drive, That's yeah. That's like the classic yep. kind of celebrity memoir, isn't it? And people kind of get, um, people actually actively want to find inspiration. And yeah. Completely does, yeah. Depends on the celebrity. One of the things that I find really interesting when you look at images of celebrity is that a lot of the time the expressions on their face to me are really interesting. Because what are the messages that they're sending with the expressions, with their stance? Now, to me, it's the, look at me, aren't I great? Aren't I good looking? Maybe I'm wearing lots of jewelry, maybe I'm wearing designer clothes. Never smiling, even though they've got everything. There's, there's this kind of mystery about them, this air of just being a little bit distant from normal people. And that's cool. Kanye is almost standing in a pose like, you don't want to mess with me. Yeah? And that's also part of the celebrity image, the successful image, that not only am I rich, not only am I successful, not only have I done everything, but I have maybe power that you don't. So 
Essentially, not only are they just pushing their story, they're also pushing an identity. We could almost say they're pushing their ego out to the world and saying, I've now created a persona of myself that is so grand that people need to know how great I am. And I think that's what I read into it when I see a lot of these images. So ego is part of being cool. Ego is part of the persona. And how does this translate in our own communities? Does the wider circle of celebrities and the way that they present themselves with the bling and the cars and all that kind of stuff, does that then have a knock-on effect on other communities, on Asians and other musicians and things like that? Do we start to see some of the same patterns? So where celebrities that we're all exposed to have the big houses and the designer clothes and the good-looking partners and all those sort of things and the private number plates and all those sort of things, does that start rubbing off on us? Now, a point to note, I have no issue with these guys personally. You know, they make good songs, good music. It's not about that. It's about the very way that they've chosen to present themselves. Where does that come from? Do you think they make a decision that I'm going to look all stern and cool? Or is that imposed on them? So let's go back to the ordinary def definition of success. And let's ask the question, who decides that that is the definition of success? Who decided that? When did that become the norm? Do you all agree that that's generally the normal idea of success? In society? But where, where, where does that come from? Who decided that that was... You, you raise a really interesting point about you always want more. And it's maybe natural. How we then do that could actually be in this perpetual cycle of buying stuff. Maybe I'll phrase the question in a slightly different way. Who benefits from you having this as your vision of success? Corporations. Thank you. Why? Capitalists, yeah? yeah. <coughs> Noticed how many of the things on the list involve you buying something? The house, the car, the designer clothes, the walk-in wardrobe, the outdoor pool, the indoor pool, all of that sort of stuff. So, we've kind of now looked at celebrity culture, we've looked at this kind of idea of success, this illusion of success, but one thing we, we see quite often is the two seem to get merged together. Why is it important for the corporations to take celebrities to endorse their products. Why do they do it? Because people look up to these celebrities. They see that they have something to them and as well. Yeah. So we might want to buy something because our favorite celebrity is pushing that particular product. Why do I care what 
cologne David Beckham is wearing? Why does that make me closer to him in somehow? Does, what does that do? I, I do actually wear David Beckham cologne, but that's like, it was seven pounds, so I was like, it's a bargain. But why do people care? Why do you think people are influenced by this? Like, I'm never going to meet these people. Why would I care that they're pushing these products? It doesn't make me any closer to them. Yeah. So their success is somehow going to rub off on me if I'm, if I'm wearing the. It's a ridiculous idea, but that's what people believe. It's how they feel. Okay. Do you agree? People will buy the products related to their favorite celebrities because somehow it makes them more accessible, or somehow buying their product. So what? Okay. What? Why is? Why do the companies do it? The companies do it because they know people think in a particular way. They know people aspire to their celebrity lifestyle. So what is the celebrity lifestyle? lifestyle? I'm sure all of these guys have massive mansions and they have all of that stuff that we, we looked at before. So somehow the, the, the materialism that they own and the person owning it you put the two together and then you put a product in front of it and say if you can just wave my product in front of people they'll not only just look at my product but they'll now make a whole bunch of associations just by the fact that you like nobody ever says buy this product you will become successful like me they never actually say that yeah buy this product and you'll have a house like mine they never actually say it but there's a whole bunch of associations so here's another question why do the companies want you to buy their products? Why do companies want you to buy their products? Money. Why? So, let's take Pepsi. Do we ever get a scenario, I've never sat in one of their board meetings, but do you ever think we get into a scenario where all the executives sitting around Pepsi, the board meeting, say, guys, we've sold enough cans of Pepsi this year. You can all go home. We've met our targets. Well done. We're done. We've sold 100 million cans. Do you think we ever get to that scenario where they say, we've done it. We've met our target for this year. Go home. Spend time with your families. No. Doesn't sound right. So, by the yeah, but like, let's, let's say they've just completely annihilated the competition this year. This year they've just sold loads. Do they ever at any point say, we've succeeded for this year, we're done, go home? You think they do? Yeah. What is optimal profit? When, uh, when you don't want to make any more? Profit. Say again? Marginal revenue is marginal profit. You're an economist, are you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever get to a point where you don't want to make any more profit? Well, you get to a point where you can't make any more profit. Okay. Because there's a certain amount of quantified demand. Yeah. Do we ever get to a point where the companies are saying, guys, we're done, go home? 
And they just set the bar higher then. How do you mean? Okay, so next year's targets get based on this year's performance. And we talked about it a little bit. Why are they doing that? You talk, what, was the, what was the key word that you used? It's a cycle. So the guys selling you the products that they are telling you will make you rich and famous and celebrity-like, they themselves want lots of money because they themselves want the lifestyle that they're pushing to you. All the big executives, all the big executives, with the exception of IKEA, most of them want to have their helicopters and they want to have their, you know, their own private golf courses and things like that. So I think that's a really interesting thing, that the people who are trying to convince us to have the big house and the big lifestyle are the ones who they themselves are stuck in a cycle where they want it for themselves. And in order for them to achieve it themselves, they rely on us to buy the products that they're pushing in order for them to achieve their goals. Would you agree? So now we're now looking at not only our motivations, but we're looking at other people's motivations. Yeah? And why do people fall for it? And what do you think the motivation is? Do you think everyone's working hard, so we're going to work really hard? Because we don't just do what everyone else does just purely because they're doing it. Okay. It's what mentality? Herd mentality. Okay. Why are people sucked into this, apart from other people just all doing it at the same time? Why would somebody want that lifestyle? Maybe because they're not exposed to alternative um, types of success. So it's just constantly bombarded, they're bombarded with it. And, you know, so there's something tied in with this idea that yeah. that stuff equals success. Yeah? And until you're exposed to another way, yeah. you don't actually know that that's, that's an option. Yeah? So... People are motivated to pursue, the, pursue these, but we talked about the goal. There's one word that I haven't heard yet as to why people buy lots of products. Let's break it down even further, think about it. What do people... What are they looking for? Say again? I will. Gratification? From... Okay. Yeah. Yes. Getting, getting warmer. It's a really simple word, guys. Think even simpler than gratification. Thank you. Happiness. Say again. Utility. Dif uh, explain that. I don't. I don't know what you mean. Okay, yeah. So how much satisfaction? So satisfaction is what they're looking for. Satisfaction, well, Yeah. So now we're looking at, because when we talked about at the beginning of our life, when we said, what are some of the things that we want to achieve in life? I think happiness was pretty much unanimous for all of us. We're all looking for, for happiness.
So, remember we said the definition of the word success means to achieve a goal. And if our goal in life is happiness, if our goal in life is happiness, people think that they've achieved their goal in life by buying all these products. Because ultimately we all know that we're just looking for happiness. So here's another question. If all of those things were offered to people, when would they want it? Sooner or later? Nobody wants it later, right? Nobody wants to wait. So time is now becoming a factor that's related to our happiness. Nobody is content with the idea that I will be happy in 40 years' time. If you were presented with ultimate happiness, where you said it's going to come in 40 years' time, you'd say, actually, is there a quicker way? Is there a way for me to achieve it now? So the idea is that we have tied in consumerism with happiness. Consumerism, money, is ultimately the vision of success for the masses. And success is the achievement of our goal. Happiness is our goal. So what we're saying is the majority of people live their life according to this formula. More money equals more happiness. Would you agree that that's a common way that people think? People see money as happiness. But when we're kids, what are we told that money can't buy? Happiness. So what's going on? Why is everyone sucked into this idea that money equals happiness, happiness equals the goal, when we're taught that money can't buy you happiness? Everyone else is still doing it. And we've also said that we want happiness now. And let's bring it back to you guys. Yeah? If you were offered your ideal life, whatever that involves, would you want it now or later? Why? Say that last bit again. We've been pampered already to kind of get this instant gratification. So, so the idea of working hard for something is like almost an ancient idea now because we can do things now. Why else do we want something now? Good. So rather than actually having happiness at the end of the life, if you have it now, then you can achieve it and enjoy it at the same time. We've not used this word yet. The idea is that we don't want that failure. If you spend your whole life trying to achieve something but never actually achieve it, we call that failure. We don't call that dedication. Dedication is something that you do up till reaching your goal. 
But if you never actually reach your goal, then there's something called failure. And we have that in, ingrained within us that we are going to be failing if we don't strive for this. So there's a fear of failure. So the question is, what is failure? Let's look at our goals again. Happiness, joy, comfort, having a comfortable life, peace, contentment. And we're talking about all of these things, but all of a sudden, now time is a factor. Because if we don't ever achieve any of those things in life, our, our notion of failure is tied in with that. And we can all agree that materialism is a false attempt at achieving some of these. Yeah? Or maybe we want some of them, but not necessarily all of them. I heard an interesting thing that you guys said, and one of them was that we want to achieve it sooner rather than later because we want to enjoy it for longer. Why? Where does that notion come from? That if we get something in older life, we won't, we won't enjoy it for as long. What's the thing at the end of the tunnel? Thank you. Death. So is now our need for success, our want for success to have it now, our fear of failure, there's also another factor, which is a fear of death. Because if you never actually achieve those things, who knows when they're going to die? Nobody actually knows when they're going to die. So if somebody said to you, you can get it in 40 years' time, but actually whether you'll make it to 40 years' time, that's, a, that's an unknown. Most of us have an ingrained, built-in knowing that time is not on our side. So we may make statements like this that says that I want to find peace now because I don't know if I'll have another moment to live. And if I live to be 100 years old, I want the experience to last for as long as possible. So we all agree that ultimately we know that the material world isn't going to do it for us. But what people are doing is they're using the material world to try and find an internal experience with external objects. Yeah? You following me? We're all looking for an internal sense of contentment or peace. But the majority of the world is convinced that the outside is the way to achieve that. So we know that death is coming and we're afraid of it because we don't know when it's going to be there. And because of the fear of death, we are looking for this word peace and we want it as soon as possible. Time is not on our side. So would you agree that the majority of the world wakes up with this as their mantra? I want to be happy now because at some point I know I'm going to die. Is that a knowing that most people have? Whether they say it or not, whether they verbalize it or not, do they know that they're looking for happiness and they know they're going to die? Most people are aware of that. What if we can transform that? What if there was a way to change that way of thinking? 
What if there was a way that's, that we could tell people, actually, I can give you peace now, and there's a part of you that'll never die? Would that be an attractive option for most people? What if there was a way that we could tell people that you know the thing that you're looking for, there's an answer to that. And you can have it now. And that isn't going to die. Is there a way to find a peace that transcends death? I'm going to propose to you that there is a way to find peace that transcends death. There's a happiness that transcends death. And the way that we transcend death is that we have to connect with something that's greater than our own lives. And I'm going to say to you that this is the way to do it. Within each and every single one of us is the ability to transcend your own life. Within each and every single one of us is the ability to transcend our own life. The question is, what do we mean to overcome our life? What do we mean to overcome our own death? In order to start answering those questions, we have to ask one fundamental question. And the question is, who am I? So I'll make it a bit light. Anyone seen this cartoon? In about the 1950s, there was a cartoon which was called Lambert, the Sheepish Lion. I used to love watching it, not that I grew up in the 50s. But the story goes that there's a lion cub who gets lost from his pride and finds his way to a herd of sheep. A mother sheep takes the little lion cub and raises it as one of her own. That's the mother. He grows up believing he is a sheep because he's just surrounded by sheep. Every year, the wolf comes along once a year and terrorizes all the sheep. And every year, all the sheep, including Lambert, they run away. One year, the sheep, that is his mother, gets caught by the wolf. And Lambert is so scared, he doesn't know what to do, because the wolf has come to eat all the sheep. He happens to come across a pond, he looks at his reflection and it dawns upon him that he isn't a sheep. And he gets it. For the first time he realizes that he isn't a sheep. In fact, he's a lion. And that he can defeat this wolf. And in a lot of ways, society has made us like Lambert. Who we think we are isn't defined by who 
we define. Who we think we are, our self-image, is not one that we've derived ourselves. It is imposed by our environment. So what we've become is another sheep because everything around us tells us we're a sheep. And what happens is that being part of that herd means that we've become so unable to move, unable to be free, all the time unconscious of our true nature, the true nature of our reality, the true nature of your freedom. And now this isn't just for the weak-minded. This isn't just for the uneducated. I'm now talking to everyone here. Who you think you are isn't who you are. So let's find out a bit more. Who are you? Now's where it gets interesting. So I will look for some volunteers to ask some, ask one interesting question. The question's already up there. Tell me who you are. Simple question. I'll start here. Who are you? Okay. I've never met you. Who are you? <coughs> How do you introduce yourself to people? Who are you? Okay. Okay. Which is? You're a student. And your name was? Harjot. Okay, Harjot, student. Who are you? Okay, interesting. Who are you? The question starts getting harder, doesn't it? If I keep probing, what you start doing is you start giving me all the realities that you know about yourself. Yeah? In order to know who or what you are, you first need to identify all the realities that you've built up around your false sense of identity. So, if I ask you who you are, you're almost always going to start with your name. And I push further. You might say, I'm a man. You might say, I belong to this family. You might say, I belong to this community, this religion. You know, you could say, I'm a Sikh, I'm an atheist, I'm a this, I'm a that. You could say your occupation. Yeah, I'm a student, I'm a computer scientist. Yeah. And then when we go even further and further and further down, once you've run out of all of the things, then you start telling me more trivial things like, oh, I'm a vegetarian, oh, I'm a Pisces, oh, I'm a this, I'm a that. You start telling me other things, yeah? My question to you is, tell me out of that list which of those things you made. Who made their body? No? Who chose their gender? Who chose your own name? 
Who chose the family that you were born in? Who chose the circumstances that led up to you choosing your own occupation? What about your thoughts? Are they yours? So the stuff floating around in your head right now isn't yours either. You can um, take ownership of the thoughts that you want to and promote them. You can promote thoughts, but where they come from... Yeah, well, that's a good question, where they come from. Okay, let's make it even simpler. Your emotions, do you own them? Good point. If you owned your emotions, would you get angry? Would you get upset? So even the thoughts in your head and the emotions that you feel are not part of your control. Your name isn't yours, your body isn't yours. The family that you were born into, the religion, the lifestyle. So remember, I'm trying to ask a very simple question here. Who are you? What are you left with? Nobody used the S word, the soul. I'm not a big fan of that word. But... If I was to take your name away from you, if I was to take your thoughts away, if I was to take your arms and your legs away, if I was to take your job away, if I was to take everything away, but something was still left, would you still exist? Maybe a fraction of you would exist. What, you, what is yours? What is with you now? That's yours. Because remember, I'm asking a very simple question. Who are you? So, let me give you another analogy about how we build our sense of identity. Because what you did was perfectly fine. You told me your name. You told me your occupation. Yeah? And had I probed more, and you had an answer every time, the stuff that you would come out with, yeah, would just be more things about your life. What do we call that? We call that our self-identity, yeah? What you've done, and let me give you an analogy about how our self-identity works. What we do with our identity is almost like building a mansion around us, yeah? Imagine you're building a mansion around you. What do you need? You need good foundations. So there are some parts of your foundation that will never change. It's unlikely that your name will ever change. Yeah? So you build your house, because that's the first thing you told me, didn't you? Harjot. That's where my life starts from. That's where my identity starts from. Yeah? So imagine you're building a house of your identity. You start with your name. Yeah? There are some fundamental things that other things may change, but certain things won't change. So, the fact that you are Asian, probably never going to change. That's another one. Then you're a male, probably never going to change. That's another one. The parents that you were born to definitely never change. 
Yeah? So you're now building the foundation of what we call our self-identity. And then you start piling on top of that more and more identities. But the higher and higher you go up the mansion, the more likely they are to change. So for example, you told me your occupation, you're a student. That isn't one of the foundation ones. Because at some point, you're not going to be a student. So at some point, there's a brick, which is, I'm a computer science student. At some point, that's going to be changed, and you're going to be a computer scientist. Or you're going to be working in IT or technology, or you just might change your mind completely and say, I'm a marine biologist. Yeah, Things will change. Then you start building your identity even more. So we've got our, our foundation. Yeah, I'm a man, I'm a woman, I'm a this, I'm a that, I'm a Sikh. Maybe that's a firm one for some. Maybe the religion is not so firm for some. Yeah? Our personal identity, the mansion, this is all a very personal house. You get to build your own house. Yeah? We're all building our own house based on what we think is our life, what we want to call our identity. So as you go up the list, you say, I'm a Man United supporter. Maybe something happens next year and you say, actually, I don't want to have that one anymore. So our self-identity has elements that are changeable. Like maybe before you would say, I wasn't religious. But then you swapped that for the religious identity. But your identity is now made up of an entire mansion of just labels that you've put on yourself. And when I come and say, hi, who are you? What do you do? You present me with this persona that you've built. And we call it our identity. This is who I am. I'm this guy, I'm this guy, I'm this guy, I'm this guy. And if I keep going, then you start telling me the more trivial things. I'm this guy, and then I'm a this, I'm a that, and I'm a Pisces, and I'm a this, and I'm a that, and I'm a dancer, and I like listening to this music, and I like doing this, and I like doing that. So our self-identity is made up of all of these things. What I'm saying to you is none of those things are yours to begin with. So my question to you is, who are you? You may just conclude that, I don't know, because I'll agree now that all these things aren't mine. I thought they were mine before I came into this lecture, but I'm pretty sure that these aren't mine anymore. So you may just say, I'm here now, I exist, I am. Yeah? Are you all here now? You can all agree that you're here now. <laughs> I'm here. Yeah? You say, who are you? You say, I don't really know, but I'm here. Yeah? I'm present and I'm here now. So you can say, I exist. Everyone agree they exist? Even that thought isn't yours. Someone came up with that idea and planted that in your head. Rene Descartes did an experiment called the method of doubt. 1637. A good few hundred years ago now. And what he did is he went around, he's a French philosopher or something, and he went around doubting everything. Like he says, I'm just going to doubt everything to find a sense of reality. Like I'm not really sure that that chair is there right now. Yeah, I'm not sure. It could be an illusion that things like that have happened before. I'm not really sure that I'm really eating. I'm not really sure that I'm sleeping. I'm not really sure this and that. So he goes through what's called the method of doubt, where he doubts everything around him in the pursuit of trying to find the truth. And the one thing he concludes, he says, I don't know if any of this stuff exists, but because I'm thinking, there is thinking going on, I'm here. That's all I can conclude. 
And this is the same thing that we would say. I'm thinking, so I know I'm here. But the people who challenged Descartes said, you didn't take it further enough. You didn't take it far enough. If you doubted everything, the one thing that you should have doubted was also this notion that I am. I am here, is what he says, I am. I'm not even sure I'm in this room, but I am. And his critics are saying, actually, you could negate that idea as well. So the question is, who am I? The only thing that you can conclude right now is that there is something here and that something that is here is alive. There is something here and it's conscious right now. There's some alertness inside you. There is something that's awake inside you. There's something that's alert and alive and observing and watching right now. And that something is unique. It's not the thoughts in your head. The thing that's alive and watching right now inside you aren't the thoughts in your head. They aren't the body. They're certainly not your name. They're not your occupation. There's something inside you. You simply are. There is a singularity to your existence. There's something right now, and it's here. There's just this one thing that's here right now. I don't know what, it's, what it is, I don't know what it's called, but there's something here. That singularity that is in you right now, when you take everything away, when you strip everything out, that which is in you is alive right now. Is it afraid of anything? Where do thoughts exist? Where do your worries exist? Where do your hopes and aspirations exist? Where do your concerns exist? You might say they exist in your mind. But your aliveness isn't associated with your mind. Take a moment, close your eyes, all of you, and just be aware that you're aware right now. Sounds confusing? Just be aware that you are present in the room right now. Some of your thoughts will be wandering away, thinking about other things. As soon as you realize that your mind has gone somewhere else, just come back and feel aliveness. My question to you while you're keeping your eyes closed is how old is that aliveness? Is it afraid of anything? Is it hoping for anything for the future? Or is it just alive? Is it feeling anything? Is it afraid of anything? Is it suffering in any way? Is it running out of time? Bring yourself back into the room. Open your eyes.
there is something inside every single one of you that is just present. It isn't, how many of you thought that the thing that you feel, your own aliveness, was as old as your body? Did it feel that old? Did it feel young? Like however old you guys are in your mid-twenties, did it feel like it was mid-twenties? Did it feel like you felt when you were 10 years old? Did it just feel like the same me that's always been with me? Yeah? It was just the me that regardless of how old my body becomes, there's just a me that's just there. And it's not afraid of anything. It's not thinking of anything. It's just there. It's just simply on. How many of you can switch that on and off? Can you switch that off? The me inside your head. Even when you're sleeping and you're dreaming, is it the same me that's experiencing the dreams? The same witnessing of whatever the scenario is outside is happening inside your head. The I watching the dream. Are you dreaming now? Is this reality or is it a dream? Can you be certain? The only thing that you can be certain of is that something is switched on inside you right now. Can you switch it off right now if you wanted to? Can anyone switch it off? The alertness of themselves being present right now. It's there. That is just there. And it's still, and it's quite calming, and it's quite nice. That is what most people are unaware of. That simple fact that there is alertness and aliveness and awareness inside them. And it has no desires, it has no fears, it isn't tied in with the age of your body, it isn't going to die when your body dies. How many of you felt that that thing felt calm and maybe even peaceful? Agreed? Who felt that it was peaceful? What did we say one of our goals was right at the beginning in life? Contentment. Happiness. There is something inside each and every single one of you that is the fountain of happiness of contentment, of peace. And you don't have to do anything to reach it. But most of us are not aware that it's there. Most of us are listening to the content of our mind. And the content of our mind is always looking outwards. It's always saying, look at that shiny handbag. Look at that sports car. Look at that. I wish I went there. I wish I was doing that. The content of your mind is always looking outwards. But there is something within you that is absolutely still, present, and the source of your real peace. It isn't tied in with anything that you have labeled. It's just switched on. So let's go back to the house analogy. Do you remember all of those bricks of your house? You are actually none of those things because you created none of those things and none of those things are part of you. You're not your body, you're not your height, you're not your age. What you are 
What is switched on inside you is almost the light inside that house. And that light is always on. And in fact, that light is also not part of the body. It's not part of the mind. And it wasn't asking for anything. It's not looking for anything. It's not hoping for anything. It's not afraid of anything. And it's there. And your light is the same as your light, is the same as your light, your light, your light, and your light. What's that beginning to sound like? Who knows what that is? Anyone? Mulmantar. What Guru Nanak Dev Ji describes is not something out there. What he's describing is something in you. The Mool Mantar is a description of you. And it's with you all the time. This is the true nature of who you are. This is what you are. When you strip everything away from you, when you strip all your hopes and dreams and your aspirations for what I want to do in life, when you bring all of those things back to the very core of what you are, this is how you can transcend your sense of fear, your sense of running out of time, your sense of, I'm not really happy right now, I'd like to buy a few things in order to get happier. This is how you transcend that. It is not afraid of anything. It is timeless, akal. It is a juni. It wasn't born when your body was born. And it is self-sustaining, sepang. You don't need to do anything to switch it on or switch it off. You don't need to feed it. You don't have to look after it. But it's there lighting up your entire life. If it wasn't there, you wouldn't be here. The entire mansion crumbles down without this thing. It's the aliveness inside you. And this, if people start to realize, is with them all the time. You don't have to do anything. It's just there. It is the very source of your own true peace. Peace is not what you get. Contentment is not what you can buy. You can't buy contentment. Contentment is an emotion, is a feeling, is a stillness inside you. You can buy products. You can buy a temporary emotion that comes from those products. But real peace and happiness, which we all agree is what we're looking for in life, is something that's inside every single one of you. Oigruji ka khalsa, Oigruji ki fateh. Oh, hey.